This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute as medical advice. If you or you know someone who is dealing with ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, please seek out a medical professional. Also, this podcast might contain some naughty PG-13 words and talking about poop, so listener discretion is advised. Toilet Talk is brought to you by... Nobody, because we're just now starting out. But there is one thing that I would like to give a shout out to, and that is smoothies. I love smoothies, and smoothies are a great way to start the day. Not only is it nutritious, and not only is it great for your gut, but it's customizable, and you can put in whatever you want that fits your needs. So, try a smoothie today. This is Toilet Talk, an informative yet humorous look at living with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease or intestinal chronic inflammation to hopefully remove the stigma and allow folks to better understand what we are going through. My name is David Nance, and I've been living with UC, ulcerative colitis, for over two decades with an intact colon. And I want to bring you along my journey, and I want to share what I've been going through. My plan is also to cover a range of topics related to these diseases, from treatments, diet, nutrition, and mental well-being. This is what I would call the second part of our pilot, and last time we covered what are IBDs, inflammatory bowel diseases, so those would be ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's disease. And these are typically lifelong conditions of dealing with chronic inflammation, pretty much from below the stomach and out. And living with this every day, I think it's important to recognize and learn to live with it. It's something that uh, I definitely have lived through and also experienced a lot of grief, a lot of embarrassment uh, because it deals with uh, diarrhea. It deals with needing to use the bathroom many times a day. It deals with getting a colonoscopy before you're 50. It deals with a lot of things that people do not want to talk about as opposed to other issues. I heard from another person in the medical profession who said she found it interesting that people are willing to disclose the fact that they have upper gastrointestinal distresses, such as GERD, um, where you have uh, acid reflux, um, or even just plain nervous stomach. But anything below that, people tend to not discuss that or disclose it to their medical professional. However, in the age of digital records and people filling out forms online, she noticed that people were more willing to discuss the fact that, or disclose the fact rather, that they had those types of issues further down with things like IBDs. 
millions of people out there who are dealing with this on a daily basis in different forms. And yet it's one of those things that people tend to keep to themselves. And I know how it's difficult to maintain relationships and even jobs when you're having to go to the bathroom 12 times a day. And I think it's important for those who are dealing with this to know that there is a support group out there for you. We can at least relate to the things that you're going through. It's also important to know that it's not your fault and it's part of the genetics that we are dealt with. It's just another card that we have in our hand. And at some point, you're just going to have to look at it and go, huh, yeah, I have that. <laughs> and who else is going to care except for you? It's your body and how you deal with it you're the only person that can control that. Your medical professionals will tell you what you can do to ease the symptoms or take care of those pains and the negative side effects that go along with it. But in terms of your attitude towards what you have, well, you're really in control. Because when there are other folks looking at you, they're concerned and they're really there for you. And having this issue is not an embarrassment. It's just something that we deal with. So that's why I'm here. This is why I'm putting it out there. And yeah, I kind of deal with it in a more lighthearted way. And, and some people might take offense to that because it is debilitating and people are suffering. But that's how I, I'm, this is how I'm dealing with my issues. I'm not doing this in any way to belittle others. I'm only doing this to help you realize that I'm going through this too. And this is just my way and hopefully it'll help. I don't know. We'll see. But I hope to also be informative to, to provide a little bit more information just to help you know what is happening and to help provide a bit of meaning uh, behind that. And we're going to go through a lot. We're going to talk about gluten. We're going to talk about, oh yeah, we're going to go down that rabbit hole. Not today though. That is going to be a whole other episode. But um, like I said, this is a second part of our first, from our first episode. So in that episode, I talked about what are IBDs, inflammatory bowel diseases. Two of them are Crohn's disease, and the other one is ulcerative colitis. It's an inflammation of the intestine. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. However, what I failed to mention was the difference between IBDs and IBS. And I think there's a lot of confusion around that just because IBS tends to be a bit more um, talked about, seems to be out there in the media. And I think that's because more people suffer IBS than they do with IBDs. Both are problems with the stomach, problems that cause things like diarrhea and gas and things and, and stomach cramps. However, what is causing that are two very different things and how people suffer from that are also in two 
different ways, which is important to note that, especially when you're looking up information and you, you, you get what's called unsolicited advice from people who, when you do come out to other people to let you know, to look to let them know what you're going through, they might be like, oh, well, I have a friend who has IBS and she found out that she was gluten and, and lactose intolerant. But if you have an IBD, that's a bit different because it's the inflammation part that is causing the disease as opposed to IBS, which could be triggered through stress or um, something that you're eating, but it is more superficial and I think it's more related to the stomach rather than to the intestine. And IBS, it's also not debilitating to the point where you would need surgery to remove part of you. So for example, with ulcerative colitis, it could get so severe, you would need a full-on removal of your colon. However, with an IBS, it's something that can be treated with uh, antacids and, and things of that nature because there really is no, it's not your immune system that is attacking the lining of the gut because it thinks that there's a pathogen. It's more about the nerves that are controlling your stomach and your gut and, and things of that nature, which are churning and, and creating more like a muscle spasm rather than a reaction of your immune system. Is that making any sense? I hope so. Probably not. But again, I'm not a medical professional. Please go out there and seek advice from your doctor. Or, and um, there are other great resources, such as the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation website. Uh, they go into detail with that. Or the Mayo Clinic um, WebMD, for example. There are many other more uh, accurate places to find out this information rather than here. Uh, I'm just a dude who is dealing with it so I can speak to some of what I know and maybe, you know, collectively we can join our brains and somehow come up with some more insightful information about that together. So that was my, what I call the science corner portion of the show. And I, I feel like I'm going to do that at the top of every episode, discussing more of the biological and, and physiological components. That way we can kind of talk about these terms when we start covering other people's stories and my story and more of the mental and um, emotional components. Because I am going to talk about later in the program, about when you get to a point living with this disease, you arrive at a place where you have to let go some things. For example, you just know that there are things that you can and cannot do, and we're going to get to that. However, I do want to cover my own story just so you can kind of be like, who the hell is he and what does he know? So this is my brief history of living with ulcerative colitis. And so please join me in my commode boudoir. My expansive toilette. And 
For me, I'm thinking of this not just as a place where you put a crapper, but a place where you can relieve yourself in luxury. And I'm thinking of this in the 19th century French version of the word toilet. Not as in the facility where you go to excrete things, but the expansive room that is around it, where it is a safe space to literally let down your hair. For ladies of the French aristocracy, that is what the toilet was, was a, a safe space where, well, let's face it, it's going to take them half a day to get dressed, and they have people to help them with that. So you would have your chambermaid to help you put on your refinery as you sit in your toilet, and you might put on some eau de toilette, or toilet water, as it is known, along with everything else. And there the lady would have a space to speak with her maid-in-waiting, to, to impart secrets and things of a personal nature that would never leave the toilet. And so in my toilet, I'm hoping to create that space. There's couches and cushions and plenty of room to social distance, of course, and a big giant tub where you can also social distance and enjoy the jets underneath a glittering chandelier. And here we can just let ourselves be because let's face it, when you have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's, you're gonna be in here for a while. So you might as well live large. Anyways, on to my story. I started having stomach cramps, noticing um, things that I would call a nervous stomach when I was a teenager. And I mainly chalked it up to stress. And I was an anxious and stressed out kid. Um, let's face it, I was bullied and I was made fun of. And I was always, you know, a... a a small, short kid, and I don't know if that had anything to do with what I'm dealing now, uh, because I was not diagnosed with this issue until I think I was about 23. However, I was dealing with stomach issues way before that. It was more of stomach cramps that I remember and they weren't very frequent, and it definitely seemed to have been started by stress rather than things that I've eaten. Now that, again, this is just me, everybody's different, but that was how I think it started until college when I started noticing actual issues, especially with having bouts of diarrhea and gas, and that happening more frequently, and that would happen probably for a few days, or maybe a week, and then I'm left feeling exhausted and tired, because my body's not able to take up nutrients, and most of it's being essentially flushed out, along with because there are ulcers that happen to be being made in my intestine, loss of blood. And when you lose blood, you're also losing iron and you get 
what's called anemia. And anemia makes you feel very tired and you start to get joint pains and you just don't want to do anything. So I would, I started noticing that uh, when I first went to college and I moved out to uh, student housing. Now I didn't live in a dorm setting of thank goodness, but it was a shared apartment. So it was two guys to one apartment room. And um, I remember there was a point where I would leave the bathroom, the other dude would go in there and he came to me and he said, dude, I think there's something wrong with you because I saw blood in there. Like there was like, you know, bits of blood, tiny little, tiny little bits that was probably left over after flushing. And he, and the thing was, there was no laughing at me. There was no um, thinking that it was, it was more concerned. He was, he was worried about me because I was probably not checking. Uh, I did not want to, I had a fear of looking at what I produced because it was frightening and it's something I just didn't want to deal with. Keep in mind, I did not have insurance at the time. So I was not able to go to a doctor and be like, what's going on with me? However, it did get to the point where I went to my parents and they did take me to the uh, the family doctor, the doctor that we've been seeing since I was a small kid, that guy. And I distinctly remember him saying that I'll probably need a colonoscopy to see what's going on. And a colonoscopy being a, a procedure that costs many thousands of dollars without insurance because it's a specialized piece of equipment that requires specialized skill. It's um, a tube with a camera at the end with other bits and bobs to go up into your large intestine and to take a look around and to take bits of pieces of the intestinal lining for biopsies to check to see if it could be malignant, if it could be colon cancer, for example, or another form of intense inflammation being uh, polyps. And again, we'll go to into those types of things in later episodes, and we'll talk about colonoscopies as well. However, um, there are things that need to be checked out first and foremost to see if it's if it's going to be cancer-causing, number one. Number two, just to get a diagnosis, just to see if it overall is a type of colitis or something else that might be going on. That is really the only way to make that accurate assessment is to physically look at what's going on. Now, without having insurance, it's just something that I had to deal with without even having any medication. So I went through college with those bouts here and there, but it would be like maybe a week of having issues with diarrhea and things like that, like intensely, and then feeling exhausted. And I can go for months between 
having those issues. So it wasn't as frequent, but it became more frequent as time went on. And those who might have, uh, UC and, and Crohn's might have, a sim, uh, might have had a similar history. So maybe you know what I'm talking about. I hope so. Let's just say, fast forward, I ended up moving away from uh, my hometown to Seattle, across the country from where I'm originally from, from Houston, Texas. Now, when I got there, still having the same issues, um, again, just becoming more apparent, but not being able to deal with it. And I was in a new town, and there was just the stress to deal with that as it is. But in time, when I started to settle down and was able to get a job with insurance, I was finally able to get a referral to a gastroenterologist, a GI doctor, as we would say. And they would be the specialist to go to. They would be the ones to perform things like a colonoscopy to check you out for that. And I remember the GI doctor that I talked to, I just started with explaining the issues that I had with these bouts of diarrhea and gas and cramps and things like that, and probably being caused by stress. And he said, it's probably ulcerative colitis right off the bat. And I said, okay, what is that? And he's like, well, it's something that you are born with. Essentially, it's genetic. It's not something that you get from other people. It's not communicative. It is something that is just part of your genes. And typically, it starts to express itself when you're in your teens or early 20s. And it could get to the point where your large intestine gets so inflamed where it might require surgery to remove it. However, you can remove it now and not have to deal with all this because then you're taking out the diseased portion of your body. Yet, there are ways to treat it and live a perfectly normal life. Going on from there, there are, of course, other things that the doctor would have to do to, um, to make that assessment. So kind of starting with um, a finger check. Where, the, where he puts the finger up the poop chute um, into uh, my anus and kind of feel around and see that there is... So inflammation can happen anywhere along the intestine. So your intestine, your large intestine, of course, goes up and over and down. And from end to end, I think it's probably, what, a meter or so? Um, um, that's, you know, three-something feet. Your small intestine, however, is much longer than that, 20 feet or so. With your large intestine and the ulcers that can happen along it can happen anywhere along that tube, but that includes towards the end. And so towards the end, you have your rectum, and then you have the anus. And so in that area, you could or may, you probably do not have inflammation at that location, in which case the finger check will tell him that. And that could be treated superficially through um, a suppository, or as I call it, the uh, magic wax bullet, because it looks like a bullet. It's made of wax, and you just 
pop that in and it melts and it distributes the medication that helps treat the inflammation localized in that area. However, other medications are needed to treat the more interior parts of that. So um, that also needs to be confirmed through procedures like a colonoscopy and things like that. So I had my first colonoscopy, uh, but before that, here's a fun story. So he did the he did the finger check, right? And he brings me into his office and he says, yes, we're definitely going to have to go through um, the procedure for a colonoscopy. It's going to require you to check into a hospital. You're going to have to have an IV. Um, and before that, you're going to have to down this liquid um, that to me looks and tastes probably like antifreeze and it's going to clean you out and you're going to go through that process and then we can check. However, during the procedure, you'll be out through the magic of anesthesia so you won't notice a thing and then um, you'll have these lovely pictures that you'll be sent home with to know that here is your inflammation of your intestine, right? Okay, so he told me that and I got, and okay, hold on. Let's rewind a little bit because after the finger up the poop chute, I was on the, I was still on the uh, bed thing, whatever you call it, the thing that you lie down on. And I remember um, him, and I think it's because I did a blood draw. I'm not quite sure, but I remember getting really lightheaded and I started to pass out. And this I remember distinctly because he came right over and he stuck something up my nose that just like woke me right up. And I think a lot of that has to do with the blood loss and nutrient loss. So I mentioned that because I think that was the first time I've experienced losing consciousness. Uh, it is a very odd sensation. Um, and... I don't know if uh, those of you out there might have gone through the same thing because, again, if you're losing blood and you're losing nutrients and you have really low blood pressure and then you have the stress that goes along with it because your doctor said you're going to have to check into a hospital and all this type of stuff, that might happen. And the other thing that I remember is after I left his office, I was walking down the hallway and I remember running into the wall. And then after that, I was on the floor and I was near the reception area and people were scrambling around and trying to put me in a chair and trying to wake me up. And so I passed out again. And all I can think of was, all I can think of was the fear of going through that procedure. And I wanted to point this out because when it's your first time, it's probably never fun, but you're also probably younger as, again, most people are diagnosed in their early 20s. And when someone's told when they have to do a colonoscopy after they're 50, eh, okay, whatever. But when you're in your 20s, it's an entirely different mind, life-changing event you'll probably find out that it's just one of those things that you get to deal with. And so after that, they put me on medication. 
which did help. And I felt like I was pretty much getting my life back. I was able to be out and about more. I was able to have my appetite back. And uh, pretty much throughout my 20s and throughout my 30s, it was pretty much like that, except with bouts of uh, what we call flare-ups. And so you'll go through these cycles of having issues flare-up, so we'll call that a flare, uh, and that is when the inflammation will start to crop up and start causing issues. And then you'll have the medication start to work, and then those issues will die down. And sometimes you'll go through months without having any issues in what we call remission. So you will go between remission and flare-ups, and sometimes those flare-ups will just crop up and sometimes they'll be triggered. They can be triggered with diet. They could be triggered with stress, lots of different things. And those would be talked about in detail in later episodes. So that is what I have typically dealt with to this day. Cut to 2020, where I'm now stuck at home. And I was just finishing my college degree at the time, going to school online, and I started noticing my flare-up. I started noticing having a flare. And it was the usual conditions, or as I call it, the old condition that I have. And it was the typical bouts of diarrhea and cramps and things like that. However, this seemed to go on for months. Usually for me, it's about six weeks, typically with a flare. However, it, it can be longer, it can be shorter, it just depends. But um, this particular time, it just didn't seem like it was going away to the point where I had to contact my GI doctor to say, I need something for this. In the past, I've gotten what is called prednisone, which is a steroid. It is not something uh, to be taken lightly, and it is not something to be taken long-term because this type of steroid, prednisone, can impact your immune system. And if taken long-term, there are other issues that are going to crop up. However, when you're on steroids, you're feeling great. You're going all over the place because now you have this boost of energy because you're on steroids. But my doctor does what's called a taper. So I will take a large amount at the beginning and then taper down throughout the course of maybe four weeks. And at the end of that, usually my flare will subside and I'll go through weeks in remission. Yet at that time, I had another issue crop up on my face because I have what was diagnosed as rosacea. I have breakouts around my uh, cheeks, my upper cheeks, even kind of like around my nose. And it just didn't seem to go away to the point where I had my doctor checked it out and he recommended me go to the dermatologist and my dermatologist prescribed me an antibiotic. Now with antibiotics, typically most people do not have any issues, but when you have things like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's, 
it can cause things to flare up again because you're dealing with the immune system, right? So at that time, that particular antibiotic caused yet another flare-up, but it seemed different this time. Usually when people have a flare, it tends to be in a certain location, like on your left side, and you typically have, you know, these types of cramps, which are more dull, or it could be more sharp or something along those lines. However, for me, it seemed like it was a sharp pain that started on my right side. And then I could feel things going up and over and down. And once I went down, it was really intense, just intense pain of something trying to go through a tiny little hole through my through this tube, right? And afterwards, I would be wiped out. And throughout uh, the Christmas holiday and New Year's, I was stuck on the couch because I was exhausted going through these cramps. And it was to the point where we were doing blood tests. I went to my regular doctor, my GI doctor, and... Um, Cut to uh, just a few weeks ago, we had that discussion with my GI who said, well, you're due for another colonoscopy anyways, since I needed to get that done every three years. So I thought I might as well get it done and to check to see what this is going, what is going on this time. Maybe it's something different. Sure enough, it was definitely more inflammation than typical than other procedures have shown to the point where my GI doctor recommended what is called a biologic. And these are different types of medications. So typically I take pills. I take um, these three large pills three times a day to treat the ulcer part of the disease. However, the inflammation needs to be treated with another type of medication to the point where it needs to be done uh, intravenously to the point where I need to be put on an IV and have an infusion of this drug so it actually starts to prevent the immune system from causing the inflammation to happen. There are all kinds of these types of drugs. You might have seen them on TV. Um, this particular one is called Infleximib. Infleximib. Um, the commercial name is Remicade. If you are in the support groups, you've probably seen people who are on Remicade or something similar where they also have to go through IV treatment. And typically you get one dose of it, you sit in a chair for um, a couple of hours for that to happen, but then you have to come back a couple of weeks later, then you have to come a then you have to come back a couple of weeks later after that. And then if it's working, you come in every eight weeks to have that treatment um, pretty much while you're going, while you're hopefully going into remission. So that is where I am at today. I had uh, my first treatment of Remicade uh, not too long ago. However, it is something that can cause issues. They do say that folks have had uh, 
allergic reactions. They have had side effects to this, and that's what worried me the most about it. Luckily, I am very fortunate. I did not experience any of those things, and I'm feeling better. Um, I know I'm not completely out of the park, especially since I have the next two doses coming up. However, I am off the couch now. I'm able to walk. I'm able to walk and be out and about. And so that is what I'm dealing with today. And throughout this time, I've been racking my brain to think of creative outlets that I could do. And so that is kind of what inspired me to do this today to start this podcast and tell you about uh, what I'm going through. Now then, that brings me to today's toilette topic. And my toilette topic is about letting go and understanding what you can and cannot do. You know, when you're on the couch and you don't have a lot to do, you tend to just sit there and think and And sometimes you get to the point where you just realize, you know what, I can't do everything at once. Yeah, it sucks that I I would love to be more productive. I would really like to get some laundry done, but it's just not going to happen. You know that commercial, uh, the UC commercial, where the people are getting up and they're about to go camping and then they say, not today. And then all of a sudden they're in their PJs and they're looking sad. I think people can relate to that. I know I can. It was very much a not today, and it just kept being a not today. And it made me realize what I need to put a priority on. Because when you think of all the things that need to be done, it just causes more anxiety. It just causes more stress. And I just got to the point of, well, It's not going to get done anyways. I might as well just focus on me. And that's okay. There are people out there who are supporting me. um, I am very fortunate that I have a job where I can work from home. Thank goodness. Uh, I know there's a lot of you who are in um, not that situation, and I'm sorry. However, if there is a way where you can where you can look at what you can appreciate now, it really helps to focus on that, focusing on you part of thing, focusing on you as a priority and letting everything else go. For example, getting the laundry or getting or taking that trip. Well, you can't take that trip anyways. Or if you really wanted to finish up that project, Or does that project really need to be done now? Can it wait? And you start to realize that you can say no, and it's okay to procrastinate. Because then you're focusing on yourself as a priority. And you know what? I think a lot of people have too many priorities. Everything's a priority. And when everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. But when you see priority as it is, you can only have one, and that priority is you. And then you can start to see how other things can just be set on the back burner for now. And people will understand. Trust me. If you are real with yourself and you're real with other people, 
there they will i i'm pretty sure they will be accepting and supportive of that luckily i have a manager who knows that who says you know what take the time off if you need to and thank goodness they also switched to where we now don't have separate vacation time and medical time. We just have PTO like everybody else. But there was a time where I would just eat up my medical leave like crazy. And then I would start eating into my vacation time while I was, while I should be on medical leave. But luckily, again, that changed into where the management said, you know, you need to focus on yourself. And I don't think that's what it was like when I first started in that job. But luckily, things have changed since then, and I am able to focus on myself. But that also leads to knowing what you can and cannot do. And I know for some of you youngsters, you were told you can do anything if you put your mind to it. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't have UC or Crohn's. When you have something like we do, you come to a point where you do realize you can't climb that mountain. Well, I mean, not today, at least. You get to a point where you have to be real and you have to, when you, you have to be real and you have to understand that there are things that cannot be done when you're in a flare. And it's just, if it's physically not possible and it's more dangerous to yourself to thinking that you have to do those things. But when you accept that it's okay that it can't be done, at least not right now, but what you can do is focus on yourself, I think that's a huge mindset shift. <laughs> Say that very carefully. Mindset shift where you can then be able to be okay to say, I can't do this. Or no, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not in the place where I can deal with that right now. I would love to. Let's talk about it maybe a couple of months from now. However, I need to focus on me. And when you get over the fear of what people might say, when you just go ahead and say it and don't give a crap of what people will think, and I, I think that starts to open up your own wellness plan, as we call it. Again, you are in the control seat of how you respond to what you are dealing with. If you're going to go about being sad and serious about it the whole time, well, I mean, that's not going to be a fun time for you, and it's not going to be a fun time for everybody else either. However, when you accept it, and you can laugh along the way and understand that it's just one of those things, then it stops controlling you and being a part of you. I'm very sorry if this is very new agey and cliche. I think it's something that has worked for me, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. So that's where I want to leave off today. And if you have any questions, go ahead and reach out. Reach out to me on the social medias. If you want to dive into a specific topic, let's take gluten, for example. Or if you're curious about alternative treatments, um, yeah, let me know. And maybe we might bring on a guest or two and find out their stories as well. So with that... I wish you well from the commode boudoir of Toilette Talk, 
and we'll see you again next time. Bye bye.